How many of you are over 50? Okay, those of you raising your hands, remember, um, some of you aren't being completely honest in Armando, the cool haircut may make you look 50, but you're not over 50, I didn't do that. All right, so the, here's the deal. If you're over 50, you remember the really cool uh, missionary reports in church, right? You remember that? They, when, when the missionaries would come to town, it wasn't just we'd give them like eight minutes and stand by them at the pulpit and go like this, right? And hope that they don't go over eight minutes. That we'd give them a whole night to be able to share. And they would bring, what? A slide projector. Anybody remember what a slide projector is, right? And they would put those slides in over and over again. And we would watch the adventures, right, of the reality of where they've been and what they've done. You remember those missionary reports, right? Yeah, awesome kinds of things. I remember being a kid going, I want to be a missionary, man. I I want to like, this is really cool. And and we remember those reports. So you would see some pictures, amazing pictures, maybe like this one, right, Uh, of people on mission in places that put them with people that don't look like them, right, Uh, in doing that. So uh, we show off the zip eyes in Sierra Leone this morning. Uh, They're ones that we only gave like 10 minutes to share on a Sunday morning. But we wanted to hear more about the reality of what they did in Sierra Leone, right? So we remember seeing pictures like that. Now, I, I want you to think for just a second about the adventure that we have been on with Peter, John, and a lame man who's been healed, Right? So if you're just joining us this morning, here's the adventure. Peter and John are on their way to the temple one morning. At the gate called Beautiful, there's a man who's born lame. They see him. They say, listen, we don't have anything to give you but, uh, other than uh, this. And Peter puts out his hand and says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, be healed. And he stands up and he leaps. And I love that I have room to leap this morning. Uh, all over the stage, right? That's good. Uh, uh, I don't know if some of you know, but there are little tape lines here on the side that I'm not allowed to go past for streaming purposes, but I love not having chairs because I can go back as far as I want and still they can see me at home. So the reality is that's what happened in that morning, right? And so uh, Peter and John, they, they go on into the temple for a prayer meeting with this guy who's just been healed. How many of you want to be at that prayer meeting, right? That's pretty cool, right? That All kinds of good stuff happening. They come out of prayer meeting, and there's a crowd. And Peter goes, ha, huh, where there's a crowd, I'll preach. He preaches. Tons of people come to Jesus. Uh, and, and there's a mini revival on Solomon's portico in the temple. And then comes church people, right? Sadducees, the chief priests, all these high muckety-mucks, and they're not all so excited about the revival that's happening. And so they arrest Peter, John, and the lame guy, and and they put them in prison. Um, But that doesn't stop Peter from the next day, in trial, preaching the very same message with regard to our understanding of Jesus. And we are told in our text this week that as they were released, they came back with a missionary report to the other people, right? They they came back with a report. But I'm just thinking that the report was a little different than what we're used to in missionary reports. Like, this picture may have been part of it, right? Right here. Like, this is where we hung out for a day. (laughs) Right? So that report, that slideshow, would be dramatically different. That's what we address today. But uh, the reality of the report is met with an amazing response, and we see an incredible result. Those are the three points this morning as we come to Acts chapter 4, 
23 through 31. So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles on your electronic devices, whatever it is that you have that takes you to Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 23. It'll also be on the screen. I'm nice to you in these days of COVID-19. I put it on the screen for you. Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 23. This is the very Word of God. This is the ongoing journey. You ready? When they were released, they, as Peter, John, and this man who's been healed, They went to their friends, and they gave a report. But this is what they reported. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, the friends, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now Lord, look upon their threats And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May God help us in our understanding of his word. First thought this morning is simply looking at this report, right? This amazing story has taken place. And here comes Peter and John back to a room in which their friends are gathered and they're going to give a report. Verse 23 tells us about that report in just one sentence. It says, After the reads, the men went to their friends and reported what the chief priests had said. Now, stop for a second and think about what they didn't report, right? They, they didn't report about how amazing it was when the Holy Spirit overcame Peter in the midst of the trial and he just started proclaiming Jesus to the Sanhedrin. They didn't report really what was the miracle in that after doing that, that the Sanhedrin got together and the best thing they could come up with is, uh, oh, please don't say this anymore, but we've got to let you go. That's not what they report. So the, the report is not one of inspiration. Come on, let's go, man, we got this. Right? The report is not even one of, of praise. Like, think about what God did. They reported what the chief priests said. And I begin to wonder what's behind that. Maybe for Peter and John, because I think in this moment we realize Peter and John aren't perfect, that there might have been some fear. Maybe concern for the people in letting them know. Because what did the chief priests say? The chief priests said, hey, stop doing this, but not only did they say stop doing this, but if you continue to do this, we, we, we threaten you. Now, we're not told what the threat was, but we do know this. They've already put Peter and John and this formerly lame guy, we've got to call him Larry or something, Peter, John, and Larry, right, um, in prison. So we know that prison is a possible threat for the people who speak about Jesus. And quite frankly, they don't have to go back too far, just a couple months, to think about Jesus himself, who not only was put in prison, but was beaten and hung on a cross. 
So here's Peter and John's report. It's not one of praise, it's not one of inspiration, but maybe one of a little bit of fear. People, we need to know we're, we're in deep waters. They've told us not to talk about Jesus. And if we do, they've threatened our very lives. That's an interesting report. The report is a report of crisis. But this is why we have good friends, isn't it? That Peter and John, maybe in a moment of weakness, are in a place of fear, are in a place of crisis. They come and they share with friends. And look at the response of the crowd to the report. In the face of crisis, what does the church do? They pray. They pray. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Now this is a point that we should probably make more of today than we are, but don't miss it. The first thing that the church did, even with a report of crisis, was that they prayed. The meat of today in our time together in the Word is going to focus around how they prayed. Two things that help us think maybe through our own prayers in a moment of crisis. I I don't know if any of you have ever had crisis in your life, if you've prayed in crisis, but today is a great model of how to pray in the midst of crisis, as the church did for Peter and John. First, they acknowledged the sovereignty of God. The first words out of their mouth in the midst of crisis was, Sovereign Lord. What does that mean? Well, we've talked about sovereignty from this pulpit a number of times, and you're all great Bible scholars. You understand that it's an absolute rule of God. It's Him being an absolute in charge, even in the midst of His absolute love for His people. But there's some really good explanation of sovereignty, some good definition of sovereignty in our text beyond that today. And it, it comes by three who's. I love to help you think about how you read the Bible. So this morning is a good opportunity uh, as a lesson to think about how you read the Bible. He says that in the prayer, they say, Sovereign Lord, and then there are three who's. And those three who's give us some definition to the sovereignty of God. Are you ready? The first who is this, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything. If you're paying attention, that means that the one they are praying to, this sovereign Lord, made, ready? Everything. The heaven, the earth, the sea, and just for good measure, everything that's in them. Like, everything. Sometimes we fly by that. Could you just pause there for a second? I think you get it. This sovereign Lord has not missed anything. And it's not as if He's created it and set it in motion. He's created it and stayed active in its motion. Everything. Then in verse 25, there is a second who. This one's a little harder to understand. It says, who 
helps, and, and this who helps us with, again, with the definition of God's sovereignty, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then there's a quote from Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Uh, so, so obvious question then is when in crisis, why do the people led by the Spirit of God quote Psalm 2? Good question. But it helps us understand the sovereignty of God. If it, honest moment, if it was up to me, in my weakness, sinful self, I think I would have prayed at that moment Psalm 58. You know what's in Psalm 58? It's this. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away when he aims his arrows. Let them be blunted. And then my favorite in Psalm 58. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Right? So, so my definition of sovereignty in this moment where I've just been arrested, right, and, and I've been through trial, is God get them. Right? But that's not what they pray. That's not what they pray. They don't pray Psalm 58. They pray Psalm 2. It really creates more questions, but I, I think this is why. It's because they've experienced Psalm 2. <laughs> You see, Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm, which means that it is really about Jesus written thousands of years before Jesus even comes to earth. And it foretells, Psalm 2 does, that there's going to be non-Jews and Jews alike who will come against the Anointed One, Christos, the Messiah. So listen, what the people are acknowledging is that God's sovereignty in their crisis is indeed a crisis that God has brought. Hear that? What they are acknowledging in their crisis is that God has always said there will be a crisis. In Psalm 2, He said the Gentiles are going to rage, that the Jews are going to come against one, and that one is the anointed one who is the Messiah. And these people, just months ago, witnessed it. Their conclusion... And their prayer, Sovereign Lord, we know that sometimes you bring crisis. And then the last who in this text makes this a really relevant thing in their lives. Verse 27, he takes, they take Psalm 2 and they begin to apply it to what they've just experienced. Truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom, there's the third who, you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So get this. That seems muddled. Get this, right? They are acknowledging that crisis exists in their lives because crisis is a part of God's plan. Hmm. They're not praying Psalm 58 to destroy the crisis. <laughs> They're praying Psalm 2 in acknowledgement that crisis comes even as the plan and the purpose of God. If you're new to Jesus, tuning in or here this morning, it is evident 
in the Gospel that there is an in-control God who had His Son die on a cross. That's crisis. Because He was doing amazing things out of the crisis. That, that Jesus' death on the cross is the very reason that we have hope. Because He died for our sins and resurrected that we might have eternal life. That out of this crisis comes victory. That literally, out of the crisis, get this, God did make the enemies like the snail that dissolved into slime. But it was through the crisis that it came. If you're new to Jesus, know that the crisis of Christ's death is your only hope. The crisis of His beating, of His arrest, And I think that's the spirit of the people here led by the Spirit of God. Sovereign Lord, we know that You made heaven and earth and all that is in them. And we also know that You said a long time ago that there would be those who stood against the Anointed One and we've seen it. That You've raised up Pontius Pilate. That You've raised up even the Jewish people. That indeed there would be crisis. That crisis exists in our lives because crisis is a part of God's plan. This is so important to get, right? It's important because oftentimes in crisis we want to run from God in anger that He's brought crisis. And here we see just the opposite. The people of God are running to a sovereign God because they know that He's the God of the crisis and that He's got purpose and plan in the crisis. Hear it? Over the years, there have been great things written. They're called uh, catechises, catechisms. And there's a great, good old German catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it asks this question. It's question 26. It says, Why do you, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth? And here's the answer given in the catechism. It says that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing, get this, created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. And then this statement, I trust Him so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and He will turn to good whatever adversity He sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because He is Almighty God. He desires to do this because He is a faithful Father. It is a wise statement. That's the spirit of the people as Peter and John and Larry come back in crisis. This guy by the name of Michael Green, he's written a number of books, one on prayer, and he says this, prayer is not about moving the hand that moves the world. Prayer is about submitting to the hand that rules the world. It is cooperating with God in His purposes. Here in that, it is cooperating with God even in our crisis. This is what the friends of our trio are doing. They first acknowledge the sovereignty of God, and then it reinforces their trust in God, and then here comes 
their prayer of application, right? So this is a prayer of adoration. You are sovereign, God. You're over all things. And because you are sovereign, get this, we pray today for boldness. I would even go as far to say that their intentional acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God has led them to a prayer to be bold. So again, this, this is helpful for me at times. Let's examine what they don't pray for in their crisis. They, they didn't pray for protection. Peter and John and Larry come in and said, man, it's getting real. And so they get on their knees and God, help us, shelter us, keep us from these guys, right? That, that is that's not what they pray. They didn't pray that Psalm 58 prayer that their enemies would be destroyed. They, they didn't pray for permission to shrink back. In fact, what they prayed for was power to push on. Lord, this is, these are the words. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Can we freeze frame there just for a second? And get this? Boldness in this circumstance does not make sense. <laughs> I mean, imagine uh, the missionary report on a Sunday morning coming back and, and saying, listen, you are all in danger of losing your lives if you proclaim Jesus. The first thing on our mind is not, let's go proclaim Him. This doesn't make sense, but this is the Spirit of God. And this is an understanding of His sovereignty. And so they pray that indeed they would be bold. People of God, it's when we pray for the things that we cannot do, oftentimes the things that do not make sense, that God is the one who gets the glory for doing what is done, not us. The boldness required in the crisis they are in is not something that they can pull up their bootstraps and do. This is something that must come from God, thus their prayer. God, we don't have this. But we're praying that in light of their threats that we would be made bold by you. This is the connection to the next phrase as well. It says, make us bold. Did you hear this? While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Quick thought while trying not to interrupt the flow of these thoughts is, is this question. Good Presbyterians, are we still allowed to pray for miracles? So the Baptists have said amen and yes this morning. The Presbyterians are going, I don't know. I don't know if we're allowed to pray for miracles. <laughs> like, is that right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like, did that, like, stop with the apostles, or is that still kind of going on today? Like, or, or is it, like should, should we as good Presbyterians, like, slide past this thing? Like, oh, we'll pray sovereign God, we get this. Sovereignty, yeah, I love sovereignty. But this praying for miracles? Listen, uh, you want the short answer, right? I know you always want the short answer. Short answer is this. We do not gloss over this verse, and yes, we pray for signs and wonders and for miracles. Hear it. We do. I do think it's different than the days of the apostles. Signs and wonders and miracles were the norm of the day. Not the exception. I think today, 
because we have the totality of God's Word and the presence and power of His Spirit that now the norm is for God to say, look at my love for you that I've recorded and you have. But indeed, in places and in times, it is appropriate to pray for someone's healing and to rejoice when it happens. You hear me? It is good to still pray for signs and wonders, for miracles. God is still sovereign, and He still gets to do whatever He likes to do. And our confidence, our boldness, still stands in this fact. But, but there's an important lesson here. God does not do miracles so that the men in flashy white suits with fancy little rags get to be the attention. With me? He doesn't do miracles to call attention to man. Why does He do miracles? He does miracles to call attention to Himself. That He might be proclaimed. Listen, I would go as far to say this. Your healing's not even about you. He, he's not going to heal you that you live longer. He's going to heal you so that you might proclaim the goodness of God. Is He still doing that? Yeah, He is. And He's doing it for His glory. Hear that in the connection of this. God, make us bold. Oh, but it would be really good if you still did some signs and wonders and miracles, right? That called people to the goodness and the power of who you are that we might proclaim you. I mean, let's just do a quick review of history, right? There was Pentecost. Flames of fire speaking in other tongues. A, a, a noise like the rushing wind. Signs and wonders that gave Peter the opportunity to say, we're not drunk, this is Jesus. And then there's this miracle of this guy sitting by the gate, beautiful, who's lame, and he gets up. I won't do it again. Leaps and praises God and does all this. And what does Peter do? Preaches about the goodness of God. So here they are like, God, you're on a roll, right? Keep doing signs and wonders. Keep doing miracles. And we'll keep giving you the glory. It is your work that makes us bold. And today, people of God, He continues to do that. I would even say this to you. Your salvation is that miracle. There's no reason God should have saved you. I know most of you pretty well now. There's no reason God should have saved me. But it's the miracle that He's done. And He's not, get this, done it for me. He's done it that I might proclaim His goodness. So in your crisis, whether He rescues you or simply provides for you, it is a sign of His hand, of His grace and His mercy, that upon which you can proclaim His goodness. That's the point of the text. The people pray for boldness. They, they know they can't do this on their own, so they pray that God might reveal Himself in miraculous ways so that they might expound on this to make much of Jesus. So the people pray. And they pray acknowledging the absolute rule of God 
that leads them to the prayer for boldness. It, it is a good lesson for such a time as this, is it not? I, I don't know if you've noticed, but our nation's in crisis. On numerous different levels. It's a crisis that's beyond us. But it is a crisis that calls us as a church to what? To pray. Acknowledging that He's sovereign and that even in this crisis is His purpose. And it's a time and a place to seize the day that we might pray for boldness. That even in the crisis we might make much of Jesus. That we might pray, Sovereign Lord, who made all things, knows all things, would you make the church bold to make much of Jesus while you continue to do miracles in our midst, even in our crisis? And then quickly look at the result. You hear what happens as they pray? God continues to do signs and wonders. It says the building shook. And then he answers their prayer. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Do I anticipate that today as we share in this text that he's going to shake the building? Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. I tried to get a train to come by really close, really fast at that moment, just to give you the feel, right? No, 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 listen, that, that's not the point. It's not prescriptive that, that God is present when the building shakes. And in fact, I, I'll tell you this, the temple of the living God is you. And today, you've been shook. <laughs> you've been shook by your salvation, by the gift of God, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. And from that shakenness, I don't know if that's a word, from that shakenness, we arise and we are bold to proclaim the goodness of God. And the building doesn't need to shake in order for us to know that today God is sovereign and for us to hear and pray for boldness in our daily lives. Think about, as we close, think about the things that you are confident about. Just for a second. Things that you know, that you know, that you know, that because it's those things that you're going to stand for. Right? This I know. My wife is always right. And I'll stand by that any given day of the world. I know this for a fact. My kids are awesome because my wife was always right. Right? But how many of us, like even in the midst of crisis, will stand for our kids? I'll tell you this, my granddaughters are perfect. They get everything they want, right? Don't, don't, don't poke Papa Bear with grandchildren, right? I know this, the Steelers will win a fanless Super Bowl this 
year, right? And some of you are disappointed by that, but it's true, and I, I stand by it. So, so don't mess with my Steelers. Now, you can mess with my Pirates because they're terrible. But there's next year, right? That's what, that's what Cleveland Browns fans say. There's next year, right? Sorry, Ed. All right, okay. All right, so the reality is, is this. What, what are you confident in? And, and the question then follows from this text, are you confident in Jesus? Because when we're confident in Jesus, we'll stand for Him. When we know that He is sovereign over all things, we'll be bold for Him. What do you stand for? What are you confident in? It's that slide, that missionary slide that we see in Acts 4 of people who pray acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And out of that saying, make us bold. What does, what does your missionary slide look like in the days in which we live? What does our church, what does Covenant Church's missionary slide look like in the days in which we live? I, I hope that it is more and more standing strong for what we are confident about. A confidence in a sovereign Lord that leads us to a boldness to proclaim His greatness. That we seize this day, church, to make much of Jesus. Maybe even back to the Heidelberg Catechism that we would say this. I trust Him so much that I do not doubt that He will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And He will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because He is Almighty God. And He desires to do this because He is a faithful Father. Let's pray together. God, we declare today that there is no one like You. Hear us, there, there is, Father, none like You who has created all things who determined things before they would happen. Even the crisis in our lives is in your hand for your glory. God, there is no one like you. You are greater. You are stronger. You are Almighty God. And you are a faithful Father. And we stand on this today, that if you are for us, then there is no one who can come against us. Which allows us to stand today and pray for boldness. Oh, Sovereign Lord, will you grant to your servants to continue to speak your word, to declare your word, to make much of Jesus, with all boldness. Will you do that in my life? Will you do that in our lives? Will you do that in the life of your bride? For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.